This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free Podcast Series. I'm your host, Steve Dale. This podcast is brought to you by Virox, the makers of Prevail and Rescue. And I am never alone. Here with Dr. Colleen Fisher. Hello, Dr. Fisher. Hi, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. I just want to dive in there and talk about, well, who doesn't love talking about puppies and kittens? And we want that first experience, first of all, to be a good one, but we also want it to be a healthy one. And I'm talking not only medically, I'm talking behaviorally here about the impact of isolation on emotional development. Can you talk about that? Sure, I would love to. Uh, When we talk about isolation wards and we talk about these sick little puppies and kittens coming in who have just recently been weaned, recently been adopted by their their new forever folks, um, it can be a very challenging experience for them. And as veterinary professionals, we have the opportunity to really help them out in in that particular environment. Well, uh, what do you, what do you do to help them out in that particular environment? Give me some examples. Sure. Well, basically, we're looking at these these little puppies and kittens. With puppies, we commonly see infectious diseases like parvovirus, which cause really terrible vomiting and diarrhea. These dogs are so nauseated, so sick. They can be feverish. With kittens, we're putting them into isolation because they have in a lot of cases, upper respiratory viruses, or again, other infectious diseases that give them a fever. These guys feel pretty punky and and these diseases can actually be life-threatening for them. So they've just come into a new home. They have these terrible diseases. We bring them into the veterinary practice to make them better. And we stick them in an isolation ward. We have to recognize that These little guys are just coming into what we call their first emotional fear impact period. And that's usually happening, you know, broadly with puppies and kittens between about seven and 12 weeks. And this is the time where they learn to be scared of the world. They've left home, they've left their moms, and this is a protective mechanism for them in nature so that they don't go out and are are too too brave in in the things that they do so they learn that when bad things happen they need to be scared and they need to back away from them so we put them in this environment where they are often alone for long periods of time there's you know sort of medicinal smells and all those kinds of things and from a fear-free perspective we can really do things to help make them feel better and a lot of that has to do with how can we help their senses? How can we make this a sensory environment that is nurturing for them? And that's where doing the things that we consider as far as our considered approach from a fear-free perspective, where we make that, that kennel environment as easy on them as possible. So what if that doesn't happen? What if they, and we're talking about a kitten or puppy, that is in the age range you talk about, between about seven and 12 weeks of age. And that animal is just, the poor animal, is just terrified. Absolutely Absolutely. terrified, right. So what is the 
downside of that? What might the pet parent see months and months and months down the road? And you as a veterinary professional, by the way, experience months and months, if not years down the road. And that is such a good point because what we see happen is these puppies come in, the kittens come in for later vaccines, for their spays and neuters, um, for other sort of preventive and elective procedures. And they're either terrified of us and shrink away from us, which breaks our hearts, or they're actually showing signs of, of higher FAS and aggression. And it has a real foundation in in what we've what they've experienced as as in the isolation ward so we want to do everything we can to prevent those those high fas um experience for them later on in life you know and no one knows for sure what causes separation anxiety however this may contribute or potentially cause it so if the puppy or kitten potentially at a very young age is separated and has an awful experience is terrified being separated that may play a role as well you mentioned aggression well that aggression can be generalized it doesn't necessarily only mean the veterinarian it can mean others and now that pet parent has to work through stuff that could have been avoided in the first place and might be even a reason for relinquishment i agree with that what we see is when we look at sort of the emotional systems and we look at fear and we look at the panic that pets can experience from being alone for long periods of time, it can truly set their their emotional sort of temperature for the rest of their lives where their first response is to panic or and we talk about fight or flight and we talk about to either retreat and and be frozen uh, when they're reacting, when they're interacting with their, their own folks, with their families and with us in the clinic or that fight response where I have no choice but to kind of lash out because I am so scared. And mm. we we can avoid that with some pretty simple practices in the clinic um, at that early stage. Yeah. Uh, now, let's talk about what matters most to any dog or cat, and that is not only what they see, that matters, but what they smell, which matters much more than that. Can you talk about it? We, we know that dogs and cats experience the world through their senses and especially through their nose. And so when we're looking at the isolation ward, if we look at patients, these parvo puppies or other patients who are very nauseated, that sense of smell becomes really important in terms of helping to get them back to eating, in terms of the pheromones that they are, um, that they're smelling in the environment that will set their mood and can can really contribute to that anxiety that they're feeling so we want to do what we can to eliminate that with cats with upper respiratory they can't they can't smell things like food and and good things but we we do have to wonder if they're still sensing those those pheromones in the environment i can give you a great example of that on a saturday morning where we are vaccinating, you know, numbers of, of pets in the hospital, and we have a cat that comes in who is obviously scared, who has a higher FAS, and they're giving off all sorts of pheromones that are very negative. We do our best. We wash our hands. We change our lab coats. 
but we go into the next clinic, um, into the next exam room, and we see this lovely fluffy little kitten come out of the kennel who literally will stop, freeze for a moment, twitch their nose, and will hiss at us because they have taken in those really awful, negative, fearful pheromones. And so we can work with that by using some of these products, um, Rescue, Prevail in Canada, that help to disinfect an environment but also help to remove those those fear pheromones in 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 the experience that the the patient might um, might be having in that moment and also in the isolation ward we can clean so we're getting rid of those parvoviruses we are getting rid of the infectious materials we're getting rid of the noxious smells that go along with their own bio waste and we can get rid of those fear fear pheromones by using these these products. I, you've already mentioned it, but I want to make a point of it again. How important is it to use products like Rescue or Prevail? How important is that? Because we're talking about, not only are we talking about, yes, we want everything to be sanitized, that's important, but we're talking about something that today, here, I'll put it this way. If you were a, if we were having this conversation 30 years ago, Uh, We would just talk about the sanitary part of it. Let's keep things clean. But today we know more, don't we? Absolutely. I think that we need to take into account the science of behavior and the science of emotional development and the sensory impact that um, emotions have that, that we experience with that. And so using these products so that we have the sort of multiple hits to the benefit of the patient just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go back in time again, say, I think I said 30 years ago. So let's stick with 30 years ago. Uh, the notion, it was taught at veterinary schools, just get it done. And absolutely, in an ICU or isolation ward, really, you need to just get it done. Well, getting it done is important, still is, and getting it done right is still important. But getting it done doesn't have to be inconsistent with appropriate respect for the animal, appropriate handling, gentle control, et cetera, et cetera. I'll let you talk about that. For sure. And that is a great point. Uh, we used to, I've been practicing for 33 years now, and with those pets in the isolation ward, we would time, you know, we would go in three times a day unless there was a, a medical need and do everything we could as quickly as we could and hopped out of there because we wanted to make sure that we were minimizing our risk for infection with our other patients. And Lots of times, parvodiarrhea smells terrible, and we wanted to save ourselves from those smells. But here's the thing. If we assign a team per shift to be in charge of that isolation ward, knowing, of course, the the team shortages we're dealing with these days, but where we can, a veterinarian, a technologist, and a vet assistant who can really be in charge of going in and nurturing those patients who have the great 
pediatric handling skills, who understand what gentle control mean, who understand that the patient is going to do better when they have cozy blankets, when they have some hiding spaces, even if it's a towel over the, the front of the kennel where they're where they're adding some some mood lighting. So there's at least a night light in there when there's nobody else around to make sure that we have either um, some some comfortable music, uh, sort of species-centric music perhaps, or, or heartbeat sounds. We can just play a YouTube video um, of heartbeat sounds, those kinds of things that really help to improve that overall environment. But also, saying, okay, apart from when we need to go in and treat these patients and do things that may be uncomfortable for them, we want to take at least a few extra minutes during our day at, you know, specified times to go in and provide some emotional enrichment, some social enrichment, you know, even if it's just gentle petting of the pet, even if it's gentle cleaning, just to show them that there are people there that do care about them and that want to, them to be feeling better. That can be really important for their overall social development. What about having products there with a neutral odor? It's huge. You know, so when we're using a disinfectant, rescue or prevail, that does not have a strong odor um, that can be noxious, that can contribute to nausea. We used to use bleach and, you know, those poor dogs and cats who probably were, you know, taking in those fumes. This is something that tends to be much easier on their system. And we are getting the good disinfection that we are looking for. And we are getting rid of those, those fear pheromones every time that staff member is able to clean that kennel area, remove the bio waste and the garbage that's in there. Well, you said you, you used to use bleach. I argue there are still clinics doing that today. And while bleach is a disinfectant, you mentioned all the other concerns about that. And if not bleach, there are other products that I'd argue the, the, the solution is worse than the cure in a way, right? I mean, they're, they're fixing, they're disinfecting, but now they're creating a whole different problem by adding, uh, I think you used the term, if not, I will, noxious odor that wasn't even previously there. Yes, I, I think that's a, a consideration in hospitals. We really need to take advantage of the products that are going to that are going to create a better environment for for the pet where who, you know, as as we've already talked about, they're taking a lot in from that experience through their nose and through their olfactory systems. Yes, uh, absolutely. And you mentioned through their nose and olfactory systems because we're talking two different things potentially right so th th or through their pheromones are th the pets don't smell pheromones i don't know what the right term is they sense pheromones through their uh vimer nasal organ right or their jacobson's organ so that is okay. different than smelling something through so with our animals we have to deal with two things there sort of or two intakes two different ways in which the pet, so those smells, we might smell, right? When the dog who has parvo, you mentioned that 
sickening, yucky. If you've smelled it, you've known it, and will remember it your whole life, right? That parvo poop smell. <laughs> How, however, that is different than something we can't even sense, but the dogs sure do, and that is a previous puppy saying via pheromones, I'm terrified. You have no idea that puppy left that scent, and you have to deal with both of those. Am I, am I at all asking a question that makes any sense? I think that we absolutely need to be dealing with those those different ways that animals are taking in their environment. And so, you know, we talk about dogs almost like tasting their smells and understanding that the things that they're taking in, the cats are taking in, is far beyond anything that we can appreciate and have to respect that with them, that there are there are the, the pheromones, the absolutely the noxious smells, or for kittens who can't smell at all, we want to be able to create this environment that is as healthy for them as it can be and impacts things in a positive way. We don't want to add things that are going to contribute to a negative experience. So we've talked about the negative end of it and what, what we could be doing wrong and all that is treating pediatric patients an opportunity to set up that animal and perhaps the pet parent for a life. I absolutely what we what we find is that the better experience, the more appropriate socialization that puppies and kittens receive as as youngsters really goes a long way to contributing to confidence and, and the ability to be independent, the ability to bond with their own people as as they grow older. And you know, we talk about we talk about FAS for for the patients themselves, but we also look at the FAS of a of a client who has who has a either their their lovely pet that they've just received in the last week or two and they've just adopted them and their own FAS, their own concerns about being in the hospital. And so for us to be able to say, look, we've got this under control. We are absolutely doing everything we can to create a positive environment. You know, once we get these puppies and kittens eating again, we do things um, in the hospital like write the pet's name in treat paste or whatever it might be on a little on a little cutting board and have the dog or cat eat the treat paste or a little bit of whipped cream, you know, and film that or take a picture of that and then send that to the client because that shows that we're we're caring, it shows that we understand and that we want to create those really super experiences in a really tough situation. You know, these these little guys start off so sick and hopefully as they're getting better, we can really improve our ability to socialize with them and and to connect with them so that they understand that people and the hospital can be a really great thing. Dr. Fisher, so well put. Thank you so very much. And thank you for everything you do for, as you say, those little guys. Thank you, Dr. Fisher. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And again, thank you to Virux, the makers of Prevail and Rescue, for sponsoring this podcast. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings, access new toolbox items, and find 
all about the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, learn more about all the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com. I'm Steve Dale. 